0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I
1: had kidney disease when I was 13 years old and it was very serious, but there was nothing that Western Medicine had to offer. They didn't do kidney transplants back in those days. So my kidneys were fighting for survival. Since Western Medicine had nothing to offer me, And I had about a 50-50 chance of survival, I was told later by my mother. My parents decided that they would take me to see some alternative doctors, some holistic doctors. And they did. And these doctors practiced out on the edge of town, in a trailer house, in the middle of a wheat field. (laughs) And so it was very different from this very expensive clinic where I'd been diagnosed. But they started working with me. And almost immediately I could feel the changes starting to happen in my body. I knew without question that what they were doing was helping me. And so within a few weeks, I didn't have any more pain at all. My parents took me back to the clinic and they ran the tests again and and all the tests were negative. And so I was pronounced cured. I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life.
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Brad, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, thank you so much for having me on. It's great to be here. Yeah. It is my pleasure. So you have a book called The Body Code, all of which we will get into. Um, you know, there seems to be this sort of trend lately. I feel like I've talked to probably three people in the last week about alternatives to Western medicine. But <laughs> before we get into the book, uh, I wanted to start by asking: What religious or spiritual beliefs were you raised with, and how did those end up impacting both your life and the choices that you've made with your career?
1: Oh boy! Well, um, my my parents' uh ancestors on both sides were uh pioneers uh, that uh joined the Church of Jesus Christ of latter day saints um back in the eighteen hundreds and um, so I was raised in that church in that religion and uh it's had uh, it's had a huge effect on me that spiritual tradition. Um, those understandings, uh, the, uh, the spiritual experiences that I've had. For example, um, uh, the first, the first experience that I had really with, uh, with prayer was actually when I was seven years old. I was really sick with the measles. And, uh, my mother asked my father if he would say a prayer for me. And as he was praying, I was instantaneously completely healed. And I, I'll never forget that event. I mean, it's like it happened yesterday. Uh, but that taught me that there's definitely a higher power we can draw upon, and uh, also that healing doesn't have to take a long time. It can happen instantaneously. So, so really, um, and then going into the healing arts, that was another answer to prayer that was uh, uh, very powerful for me. And um, and then when I got into practice, uh, I got into this habit of just uh, offering a silent prayer, really asking for help from from God. With each person that I saw, nobody ever knew that I was saying a silent prayer for them, but I was and uh, and during all those years, there were times when um, in response to that prayer, in answer to that prayer, information would just flood into me like um, uh, like an avalanche sometimes of of understanding, or it would just be it would be shown to me or revealed to me what this person needs. That would happen typically in cases where I was faced with something really, uh, difficult or, um, I, a patient I, I wouldn't know how to help or wouldn't know where to begin. And so, um, so yeah, that, uh, that religious tradition for me, I think was, uh, was really critical. Without it, I'm, I'm sure that I would not have been able to develop this work and bring it into the world. So good
0: question. So, well, so one thing that I always wonder about is what misperceptions people have about Mormons because I, I think the the South Park episode, which you may have seen, I think they did a really good job of kind of uh, dissecting it because they presented it as, you know, like we're picking on them, but in all reality, they're like the kindest, sweetest people in the world. Like, and I, you know, I, I had a couple of, of classmates at Pepperdine who were Mormon as well, and yeah. it turned out to be absolutely true. Like they were absolutely like just salt of the earth people. But uh, i wonder, like what, misperceptions do you think the media creates, uh, about the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? Because I think that there is sort of a a tendency to almost view it as cult-like for people who are unfamiliar with it. So I like dispel some of these notions for us.
1: Well, you know, um, the, the, uh, that's true that I think there, uh, there are, uh, misperceptions about the church that it, uh, that it's um sometimes viewed as some kind of a cult or that polygamy still goes on when it really that ended in 1890 um the reality of it is having having been in the church all these years really all of my life and having uh having served a mission uh for the uh for the church in Italy back in the late 70s uh where I was uh trying to convert the catholics in Italy <laughs> and uh it was a, a, a great experience. Really, what it comes down to is um, is that the uh, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, by and large, are really just trying to be better people and trying to live um, the teachings of Jesus Christ. And and I think that really, if you if you if you were to carve away everything else about the church, that's really what it's about, uh, and of course, what we believe is that the, uh, the church that Christ established anciently has actually been restored back to the earth in our day. And, um, that we have a prophet like the ancient prophets now who, uh, and that Joseph Smith was the first one of those. Um, but that there's one now called, uh, his name is Russell M. Nelson. But, um, but yeah, I think really that's what it's about. And I think that that's why so many people who have contact with members of the church find out that they, Salt of the earth people and they're really nice, generally speaking. There's always, a, you know, you get the odd exceptions here and there. But, um, but really that's, um, that's where it comes from because we study the teachings of Jesus Christ and those teachings really, in spite of, in spite of the, um, uh, terrible things that have been done in the name of Christianity over the centuries, which had nothing to do with and were diametrically opposed, uh, in almost in probably all cases uh, to the teachings of Christ really what Christ taught was um, about uh, things like the golden rule do unto others as you'd have them do unto you and be kind to people and take care of the poor and um, and try to uh, um, try to overcome your own weaknesses and uh, and try to be a better person so that uh, you know our uh, our vision our idea, uh, in the church is that, um, that eventually if we make the right kinds of choices in this world, um, we can go back, uh, home and be successful. And home is home with God back to the world, uh, the place that we left when we came here. And so, uh, we're kind of here for this temporary sort of experience. And, um, so yeah, I think that, um, There are misconceptions, I think, about probably all religions. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Until you actually are in that religion, and then you realize that they're misconceptions.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that's why I ask these questions, because I want to know. Uh, One thing that I wonder about, and I can't for the life of me remember his name, but we had a guest here who grew up Mormon, uh, and I think he did his mission in Brazil. And I was asking him about the experience. Like, are you just getting doors slammed in your face? Because, you know, I think that one can you explain the significance of the mission? Like what role does it play overall in, in terms of your life? Uh And then uh the other thing, like I never got the sense anytime I was talking to some Mormon person that they were trying to convert me to Mormon that just right. never was there. But like, I think that that is another one of those perceptions. And of course, um, that in some ways seems like the purpose of the mission, but expand on that for me and tell me about your experience with that. Like, were people slamming doors in your face? Are people <laughs> open to it? Like, what is that like? I mean, cause you're effectively trying to recruit people into a religion, it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, the, um, the message that, uh, that we had. Well, first of all, I'll give you a little background. Um, uh, I had no idea where I was going. Um, I went to the dentist, right? Got a, physical exam from a doctor and submitted all the paperwork, sent it in. And you don't know where you're going to be going. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and you, you apply, uh, to be sent on a mission, um, it's, we believe that it's, uh, it's, it's inspiration that, uh, where you get sent, uh, is really where, where God, you know, would have you to go. And so I got sent to Italy. I didn't know where I was going. I, I spent two years in Tuscany, which was pretty tough. But, um, no, I mean, I think that, um, uh, I, I learned how wonderful the Italian people are. And, um, I had an interesting experience, actually. Uh, uh, when I was in the, um, first I went to, uh, Provo, Utah to, uh, the mission training center, uh, which, um, which is where all the missionaries go and, uh, spent two months there. Learning Italian and actually memorizing, uh, a book in Italian of the eight missionary lessons. And, um, and that was, that was a very challenging, very difficult thing. I mean, you know, the State Department and the CIA and I mean, all kinds of different organizations have sent people to the LDS church to try to figure out or the Mormon, the LDS church, we'll call it, um, uh, to figure out how, how they can do that. Because by the time two months was over, you know, you could carry on a conversation with somebody fairly well and you could actually sit down and actually teach a lesson, um, in, in this foreign language. And, um, and I remember that when I was, uh, when I was there, I was, I, I was praying one night on my knees and asking God to help me to learn Italian. And, uh, the next morning as I was waking up, as I was coming to consciousness, the Italian language was going through my mind like a Bullet train on acid. I mean, like thousands and ten, tens of thousands of words per second. I mean, it was, it was the craziest experience. Um, but I think that that somehow that language was being downloaded into me. I've never had an experience like that before or since it was really wild. But by the time, uh, by the time I'd been there for about a year, um, people wouldn't believe me when I told them that I was from the U S. Uh, they say, Where are you from? And I say, Ah, oh, Montana. They say, Oh, is that up in northern Italy somewhere? I never heard of that. I say, No, I'm from the US. They say, Yeah, come on. <laughs> so, uh but no, I don't really think I, I can remember really any doors being slammed. Um, everybody was everybody was really nice, but you know, the phrase that people would typically give us was uh Ormai siamo cattolici," which means uh basically what are you gonna do? We're Catholic. You know, we've been Catholic for two thousand years, we're not we're not really gonna change and but it was a phenomenal experience and a very formative experience for me. Um, I learned about, uh, rejection because I, we, you know, we got rejected a lot and, um, learned about, uh, about what it feels like to really care about people and, um, and learned about working really hard. And, uh, so it, it was a great experience, really. And I think that, uh, I think that people that don't go kind of miss out um uh, and of course it's not an obligatory thing i mean uh, uh in the church young men are encouraged to go and and young women are encouraged to go if they choose to go um and some people go and some people don't uh my wife and i have we had 7 kids uh together and wow. the youngest is 23 none of them went um uh, but you know that's their choice and so up to them
3: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at
4: uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom
0: We go sell deep. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. One thing I wonder is, do people get sent to countries like missionaries where they're not wanted? Like, I'm imagining this going on in a place like a a predominantly Muslim country. Like, would you be welcome there? Does that happen? Like, I realize that's a strange question. It's just, you know, being of Indian descent, and you know, where there are multiple religions. I wonder about that.
1: Um, yeah, I, you know, that's an interesting question. I, uh, I'm not really sure about that. If there are, uh, in some of these very secular countries or sorry, in, 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 some of these countries that are very, uh, highly religiously oriented, I, I don't know if there, uh, if there are missionaries in those countries. Uh, I, that's something I'd have to ask Siri or look (laughs) up.
0: You know, the other sense I get, you just mentioned you had seven kids. Like the other sense that I get is that family values are really deeply embedded in uh, the Mormon religion.
1: Yes, that's very true. Uh, we we really do believe that uh, the family is the fundamental unit of society. And studies bear that out, uh, studies that have been done looking at uh Looking at families with no father, for example, they find out that if if you're raised in a family that has a father and a mother, uh, you do better uh, life works better for you, and I know that there are there are lots and lots of different kinds of families now in the world, and of course uh, the traditional family is not as popular as it used to be, but um you know we accept all kinds of families, really, if you get down to it, the gospel of Jesus Christ is about learning how to love other people unconditionally. It's about, it's all about love. And see, what we believe is that love is the whole reason uh, for everything. It's why this world even is here. It's why we're here. And when people die and they go to the other side and they happen to come back and tell the story, which happens sometimes, um, they often have a life review and, Sometimes they're asked questions like, um, how much love were you able to develop for your fellow beings in the world? What's your capacity to love? And the scriptures, of course, teach about this too, that charity, uh, which in the scriptures means the pure love of Christ, or in other words, the kind of love that, that Jesus, uh, had, uh, to come from where he was and to be born into a stable, uh, with Flies and animals and then to actually, uh, live and teach us by example how we can also live and then to suffer and die in this horrible way for all of us. Um, uh, we believe that that enables us, if we make the right choices and if we have faith in Christ, that we can return back, um, to God's presence when, when this life is over. But it's about, um, it's really, it's about unconditional love to me really more than uh, more than anything else learning to accept other people uh, learning to love other people in spite of whatever they might be doing or whatever warts they might have or however they might look or whatever it's a very um to me also being um uh, being a, a practitioner of energy healing and, and doing this work for so many years it's really about ascension. You know, people talk all the time about becoming an ascended being and there are different opinions about what that really means. But to me, what it means is becoming, uh, capable of unconditional love to a point that, um, you are kind of like a beacon of light and you love everyone and people can feel that love. And, uh, and that means that you totally accept other people you totally accept everyone um because that's what unconditional love does uh in fact there was a uh there's an interview that I saw once I've never been able to find it again you know how that is you you see something great on youtube or something and you, you you can never find it but anyway it was an interview with a uh an emergency room doctor and he was talking about how Uh, contrary to what we see in the movies and on TV, uh, when someone flatlines in the ER or in the hospital, their heart stops, um, they hit them with the paddles, you know, boom. Um, He said, contrary to what we are used to seeing on TV, uh, only about 15% of the time are those patients actually able to be resuscitated. 85% of the time they're dead and gone when their heart stops, which I thought was interesting. But he said that one day, in the emergency room, uh, something happened that changed his life. He said that they had three different people one day that they revived, which is very unusual because the odds are totally against it. and all three of these people said the same thing. <clears throat> they all said, first of all, essentially in more or less uh, the same words, they said, "Why did you bring me back um and in fact, in all the all the near death experiences that I've read or watched, I've never seen one or red one where a person actually did want to come back to this world. They get to the other side and it's like, no, I'm staying here. But anyway, these three people all said, why'd you bring me back? And then they also essentially said the same thing. They said that for the first time in their whole life, they felt totally accepted when they got to the other side. Think about that. I've thought about this a lot. And that total acceptance, and that's something that everybody describes They get to the other side, they feel no judgment, they just feel unconditional love and they're in a place that they never wanna leave because they feel totally accepted. And even when people are shown their life and they have a life review, they're shown how their deeds and their words and their actions affected other people and some things were good and some things were bad, they all describe how there's never any sense of judgment. It's that instead it's like, this is a gift for you. Life is a gift for you that you get to experience. And so I've thought about that a lot. And uh, you know, I I love being a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. It has given me rails to run on my whole life, and um it's given me uh it's given me a a grounding. And it's helped me to also open a line of communication with God because we believe that uh, everybody is capable of communicating with God. And, um, and so that's it, not always something that happens immediately, but you know, you get answers to prayer and I've had many, many answers to prayer. I've heard voices on multiple occasions. And, and if it wasn't for the church, uh, I honestly don't know where I'd be, but I'm absolutely positive that I would not have uh, brought this work into the world, the emotion code, the body code, now the belief code. Um,
0: so one random question, I promise we'll get into the book. Um, sure. The whole 10% of your income thing, what's that all about? Oh, yeah. Well, that's
1: an ancient principle, actually. Um, and uh, and in fact, you'll find that principle in lots and lots of different places besides uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, And the idea there is that because we, we receive everything from God, we really, we really don't own anything in a sense. Everything that we get, we're actually getting from God. I mean, the place that you live, the money that you receive, everything else, we believe it's all coming to us from above. And so, so what we do is we give back 10% of whatever it is we're receiving and, uh, and when we do that because this is really a true principle it's a principle of abundance and it's kind it's kind of uh counter logical because you'd think that you'd be better off to keep it all but the reality of it is if you're willing to give back that 10% we believe that you're blessed for that and there are promises um in the uh in the bible the very last book in the old testament in malachi uh uh, the prophet Malachi talks about this and says, you know, if you'll, if you'll pay your tithing, God will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings upon you that there won't be room enough to contain those blessings. And so, um, it's, it's been interesting in my life to see other places where people have taught this principle of tithing and it's taught in lots of different, uh, you know, secular courses and so on, because it actually is a true principle and it doesn't matter. I don't think so much. Um, you know, who you're giving the money to. Um, it's not like it's just your particular church or whatever. You could be giving 10% of your income to a charity or to the poor or whatever you want to do. But I really do believe it is a true principle. And if you do that, um, you'll be blessed. And all you have to do is try it for a while and, and see if it works and, um, and you'll find out hey yeah it does work
2: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com Website creation is hard but now with Bluehost you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away From there you can customize your design colors and content and Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing from step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to Bluehost.com/Wondersuite.
3: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
0: Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
4: Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: Let's talk about aging. It's inevitable, right? But what if I told you there's a new way to age, led by Solgar Cellular Nutrition? Well, it's funny you say that because I think of two stories, Dan Kennedy, who is like the ultimate capitalist and a copywriter. He has a wealth attraction seminar and he talks about this where he has people set up a savings account and a giving account. And he said, you know what? He said, some people will start out making the savings account 10%, the giving account 1%. With and he said, like, you think, he said, what you will realize is that it multiplies. And I had a, a really interesting experience with this. Like 2018 financially was one of the worst years I'd had. And we were in India shopping for my sister's wedding. I was at a surf camp. Um that basically was you know, run by the first surfers in India, and there were kids there, little kids. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this is the only surfboard I have. If I have to buy a new one, this thing is going to cost like six, $700. And I thought to myself, you know what? I remembered that Dan Kennedy moment. I was like, I'm going to leave this behind for these kids. And I think mm-hmm. that literally right after that, I like, that money came back to me 10 times over. Uh, it, like I, I got booked for two speaking engagements, but even the better part was when I went back to India, the waves weren't all that big and they were like, Hey, you left your board here. Why don't you just use that? And a kid had won a, a surfing championship on that board. Really? And I was like, okay. What a, what a like bizarre because I, I think that cool. the, the idea of generosity, I think we're all familiar with, but I think that the real, the biggest thing for me was like when it's hard is often when it pays off the most.
1: Yeah. I think that that's, uh, I think that that's true. If it's, uh, if it's more of a sacrifice that you're making, it's mm-hmm. the law of sacrifice. You know, you, uh, you sacrifice for something and you're blessed. And it's, we live in this world and in this universe that has all of these unseen cosmic rules that, um, that most people go through life. They're not really aware of, but, um, but you can actually take advantage of these rules and things can work better in your life. It's, uh, it's really interesting, but tithing is a great principle and, um, yeah, love
0: it. It works. I think that this whole idea of cosmic rules makes a perfect segue into the book. And I will tell you as, uh, the son of a, a a virologist and having a sister who is a doctor, I finished this with a great deal of skepticism, but you mentioned energy healing work and I'll tell you a story, which I think will make for a nice transition into the concepts in the book. I went to an energy healer once in San Diego and I remember walking into her store and uh you know there was a sign in the door that said quiet energy healing sessions in progress and so I asked her you know I said I'm not trying to be impolite but I'm like what is this energy healing stuff it's just a bunch of new age BS and she was very kind of I was like has anybody ever asked you that before she's like not in that way but let me explain and she did and I was like <laughs> okay I bought it and I was like what did you do before this and she was like I used to work at NASA I was like okay you know what suddenly I'm much more interested in what you have to say and what actually convinced me of the virtue of things that I cannot explain or understand with science was an experience I had with her. I had a breakup that for some reason, even though I was over it every day, I would wake up and think about it. I did one session with her and I remember I got to the end of the week and I was like, holy crap. I'm like, I haven't thought about this all week, Mm -hmm. Um, which was really an eye-opening experience. So let's get into this book because um, one, you know, how in the world did you decide to go this route instead of Western medicine? Because I know you allude to the possibility of going to med school in the book early on.
1: Yeah, well, um, I had kidney disease when I was 13 years old and it was very serious, but there was nothing that Western medicine had to offer. They didn't do kidney transplants back in those days. So my kidneys were fighting for survival. Since Western medicine had nothing to offer me, And I had about a 50-50 chance of survival, I was told later by my mother. My parents decided that they would take me to see some alternative doctors, some holistic doctors. And they did. And these doctors practiced out on the edge of town in a trailer house in the middle of a wheat field. (laughs) And so it was very different from this very expensive clinic where I'd been diagnosed. But they started working with me. And almost immediately, I could feel the changes starting to happen in my body. I knew without question that what they were doing was helping me. And so within a few weeks, I didn't have any more pain at all. And My parents took me back to the clinic and they ran the tests again and, and, uh, and all the tests were negative. And so I was pronounced cured and I decided that's what I wanted to do with my life was I wanted to be a doctor. And if I needed to practice out on the edge of town in a trailer house in the middle of a wheat field, that was okay with me because that seemed to be the natural habitat of doctors that got results. So anyway, um, I got involved in computers then and uh, became a computer programmer and loved that and thought I was going to do that for the rest of my life. And then one day my father asked me um, a question that led me to prayer that led to an answer that I was actually supposed to go into the healing arts. And so I did. And, um, and so I became a chiropractor and uh, of course, my training was to adjust people, realign the bones of the spine and other areas. And I had great results doing that. But um, I'd also been exposed in the past to some energy work. And um, and in fact, I'll, I'll, I'll share a story with you that's in the book. When I was first working with another doctor, um, when I first got out of school, there was a woman that came in in a wheelchair who looked like death warmed over. Her whole family was with her. Um, She'd been really sick for about three weeks and um, nobody knew what was wrong with her. Uh, she'd been to the hospital. They'd run all kinds of tests. Everything was negative. Um, She said the only time she felt halfway decent at all was when she was in a tub of really hot water, but then it took her whole family to get her out because she had absolutely no strength. She, um, uh, she was wracked with pain and just was miserable. And so uh, the doctor that I was working with just intuitively asked her if uh, she had been bitten by a spider and it took her a minute and then she remembered that she had. And so treating her, he treated her energetically with the, um, he actually used a, uh, uh, like a little electronic device that he put onto one of her meridians and, uh, and then just did this treatment for her. And then, um, she went home. They wheeled her out. Well, that she was the last patient that we saw that Friday. And this is in 1988. And, uh, the following Monday morning, I went in the office by eight o'clock and there's a woman sitting in the waiting room and I walked over to her and started talking with her. And I thought, wow, this woman looks familiar, but I can't place her. Suddenly it dawned on me. It was the woman from Friday, the spider bite woman, and she's not in a wheelchair. Her family's not with her. She looks absolutely the picture of health. And, uh, she and I cried together because it was the change was so profound. And so when I got into practice, um, I knew that there were, there were things that could be done, uh, beyond just realigning people's spines. Um, for example, when I first got married, uh, my wife and I uh, went to see this doctor. My wife, when we got married, um, she was actually very sick. And um, she'd send me off to to work in the morning. And she'd go back to bed and just be in bed all day and just cry because she was so sick. So we went to see the same doctor that found the spider venom. His name was Dr. Stan Flagg. This is up in Kalispell, Montana, and uh, many, many years ago. But I remember sitting in the corner of the room and he's muscle testing her. So she's holding out her arm parallel to the floor. He's pressing down on her arm, trying to get answers from her subconscious mind about what supplements she needs. And, uh, and her arm would sometimes be strong and sometimes would go weak. And we ended up going and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, this is, this guy's either really on to something or this is really just a huge scam. And we went home with a whole shoebox, uh, Box full of supplements that she started taking. And, uh, but within about a week, completely pulled her out of it. And so, um, so there were these little experiences that I had that kind of opened me to the idea that, um, that there's more going on than maybe what we thought before. And so being a computer programmer, uh, I always had a computer there with me in my office. And I was, as I was finding new things on people, I would, Record those in this mind map that I was building of all the different things that can go wrong in people's bodies. And what I gradually learned, um, uh, was that the subconscious mind, uh, which we all have, uh, that's the part of us that's, uh, creating millions of new cells every minute and so on. That subconscious mind is vastly more intelligent than the conscious mind. And we can actually access that, uh, that subconscious mind. It's it's like a holographic computer within each person. And um, I learned that uh, the subconscious mind is essentially a binary computer. So if you think about the interface on your phone, well, it consists of a screen where you see things and then you can use your finger to touch buttons, right? That's the interface. Um, If you have a laptop or a desktop computer, the, the screen is part of the interface and the keyboard's part of the interface. Well, the subconscious mind has an interface too, but it doesn't have a keyboard, it doesn't have a screen. So how do we get information out of it? Well, symptoms are manifested by the subconscious mind to get our attention, and then we can use muscle testing to get answers so because it's a binary interface that the subconscious mind has, we can only ask questions that are either yes or no questions. But the body will give you a strong answer, strong muscle for yes, or weak answer for no. And so I learned uh, when I was in practice that I could do these things. Uh, and it was kind of a gradual process. I remember one day, uh, for many years, I used a uh, a special kind of a table where a patient would come in, they would stand against this table, which was in a vertical position, and uh, they grab onto the hand holes and then I'd press a button and the table would lower down horizontally and there was a foot plate that they'd been standing on that would drop away. And then I would look at the length of their legs and uh, I found that if I I learned some methods where you press on a certain bone in a certain way, and if the bone is out of alignment, you'll get a change in the leg length because the body will respond. So I'd done that for many years. Well, One day, um, I got done working on this patient, this guy. And I'm looking at his leg length and his legs are perfectly balanced, which is exactly what I was trying to achieve. Right. And then for some reason, um, I started thinking about his left kidney and I came back and checked his legs and his leg length was off by about an inch. And I thought, wait a minute. What? And I thought about his right kidney and all of a sudden I checked and his legs are perfectly balanced. I thought about his left kidney again. Boom. About an inch difference. Couldn't believe it. Right. Well, that was really. Uh, kind of mind blowing for me. And so at that point, I realized that I could start asking questions uh and getting answers from people's subconscious minds using leg length testing, which is just another form of muscle testing. But uh, as time went on, and I was able to refine this ability to communicate with the subconscious mind, um, I got better and better at fixing people, at helping people, to the point that the last 10 years of my practice, most of the people that I saw had been told there was really no help for them at all. They'd been cast off by Western medicine, most of them, and told that nothing will ever uh, help you, and uh, you're going to have to live with this problem for the rest of your life. And yet, the vast majority of those people were able to get well, uh, with just a few exceptions. Um, And you know, to me, having been a computer programmer, it all made perfect logical sense to me. Oh, there's a computer inside the body. We can ask questions of it. We can find out exactly what's going on with people because it knows with a perfect understanding why this person has migraines or why this woman can't conceive a child or why this guy's got digestive disorders or, you know, you name it. Um, And so, uh, so it was really interesting. And it was fun because, um, I was never afraid, uh, no matter what a person had, no matter how sick a person was, I, I didn't have any fear about working with them. Um, I remember I was just thinking about this the other day. There was a woman that came in to see me one day. She had uh, fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue syndrome. So you know, pain all over the bodies, fibromyalgia and the terrible fatigue that goes along with that sometimes. And, uh, I had just done her intake and, uh, just finished working with her and I looked at her and I said, I'm, listen, I said, I'm basically clueless about what's wrong with you. And her eyes got really big and she looked at me and seemed really startled. And I said, but wait, just listen, here's the thing. Your subconscious mind, the computer within you, knows exactly what's wrong with you. And I know how to talk to it. So it's going to be okay. And she got well. So, um, so it's, this is really a whole new paradigm. I mean, if you think about it, Energy medicine is is strange to us because we are uh, we're so conditioned to uh, to Newtonian physics and and to uh, to things being physical and the body being a machine and and we're so conditioned and propagandized really truly uh, at least in the U.S. to believe that um, if it's not a drug uh, or if it's not some kind of surgery. It can't possibly have any value, which is absolutely insane. When you look at all of the ancient systems of healing, from Ayurvedic medicine to Chinese medicine to TCM, uh, acupuncture, all these ancient methods, they all work or they wouldn't still be around. And so Albert Einstein uh, said that um, the medicine of the future will be the medicine of frequencies. And many great scientists and great thinkers since then have basically said the same thing. Why is that? Well, because really, the physical world that we're so used to and these physical, these solid physical bodies that we're so used to, really, if you talk to anybody who, who understands quantum physics, they'll tell you, well, it's kind of more of an illusion than anything else. Maybe take a big enough microscope and you start zooming in on your hand, for example, and um, you zoom in past the level of the molecules and eventually you're looking at a single individual atom, uh, you see that the next atom is a long distance away. And if you look inside that atom, you see there's really nothing in there. It's just empty space. It's just energy zipping around at the speed of light and vibrating at, at their rates. and And so really, ultimately, that's what we are. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around quantum physics but because uh, it's so weird. In fact, uh, Richard Feynman, the great uh, physicist, said, uh, if you don't think that quantum physics is weird, you don't understand quantum physics. There are a lot of very strange things about quantum physics, but this is the world that we that we are now moving into, see. Newtonian physics and looking at the body as a machine, an understanding that came about in the Industrial Revolution, Uh, that has to change. It's gotten us to where we are and that's great. But, um, now we're stepping into this new understanding and, um, it's, it's really interesting. When I was writing the emotion code book, uh, back in 2006 and seven, there was a, uh, I remember there was a guy who was a, he was a, uh, chiropractor driving down the road one day and, uh, he had a, a misaligned bone in his foot that was really bothering him. And he just started talking to his foot and telling this bone to realign. And it did suddenly, and it blew his mind. And uh, he ended up creating this distance practice at where pe- he would work on people at a distance and get all kinds of amazing changes happening with people. And uh, he was turned in by somebody. They called him before the board of examiners, uh, chiropractic examiners, I believe it was in Ohio and uh they took his license away because they diagnosed him essentially as being insane but um now you know we have, we've certified uh, almost 12,000 people in the emotion code in 80 countries around the world and and they most of them routinely work with other people that uh, are in other countries or other places and and yet get fantastic results all the time and so um it's uh it's really interesting but i think that um uh you know what we are led to believe and what we are taught are our limitations and our uh capabilities are um are often really not correct and so we're trying to really find out what what are we capable of and and what is possible and um uh, so that's one of the really fun things about this work the body code uh the Body Code came about during those years when I was in practice, really. But um, it was never anything that I had taught in full. I had taught bits and pieces over the years. I started teaching seminars in 1998. But after the Emotion Code book came out, about a year later, one morning, I woke up and my mind was full of instruction. And the instruction was, you need to take everything that you've learned about natural healing and put it into a self-study course that anyone can learn and make it available to everyone, everywhere. And I remember thinking, are you sure about this? This, <laughs> this sounds like it might actually require some work. And it did. It took me a year to create the first version of the body code. And, uh, and now we call it the body code system and it's available on apps, you know, mobile devices. But, um, but anyway, yeah, that's kind of in a nutshell. It's been a really, it's been a really fun, really creative, um, really amazing journey for me because, um, now, I mean, to see the power of the written word and to see how, uh, you know, my wife and I travel all over the world and, uh, we, we have people coming up to us all over the world telling us how this work has changed their life. And, and, um, it's a beautiful thing to see. And it's, uh, it's something that, you know, the ego part of me would love to take credit for, but I, I can't because I know that I'm just the instrument. I just work here. And this is really, this is really God's thing that, that he's bringing into the world. And so I'm just grateful to have been able to play a part in it.
0: Well, let's actually talk about the system and how it works. Cause you said the essence of the body code is restoration. The body has an innate way of healing itself. The body code simply helps us, helps you find the causes of imbalance so they can be addressed and corrected. As you create the balance, the way healing is open for your mind, heart, and body. So talk to me yeah. about the concept of imbalance and how it actually works in relation to the body code system specifically. Like, give us the principles that define this. Right. Well, during those
1: years when I was in practice, uh, what I began to realize and understand as I was trying to figure out what was wrong with these people that had all kinds of different conditions. Uh. What I found, first of all, was that um as I would talk to the subconscious mind of these patients and try to get answers um, using that binary interface that the subconscious mind has, was that all my patients, no matter how young or old they were, no matter what they were suffering from, whether it was some kind of physical pain like migraines or back pain or neck pain, or if they were dealing with uh depression or anxiety or phobias or, Panic attacks or PTSD or eating disorders or some kind of self-sabotage. Or, uh, if they were dealing with something like infertility or asthma or digestive disorders, or if they'd been diagnosed with some kind of a disease process that was hopeless, what I found was they all had at least one thing in common. And that was they all were suffering from emotional baggage, emotional baggage or what I, what I now call trapped emotions. In other words, the energy of the some of the emotional experiences that they had been through uh, was still trapped in their bodies. And um, I figured out a way to identify those energies and release those. And I found that that was uh, an incredibly powerful thing. And that's actually why I left practice um, in 2004 to write the Emotion Code book which came out um, the same month and year as the iPhone. Um, July, I think, uh, 2007, just to kind of orient everybody. That's how long it's been around. And it's in many, many languages now. Well, um, as as I was working on people, and as I got better and better at talking to the subconscious mind and querying the computer within each patient, uh, remember that I always had a computer there with me. Uh, and I was always cataloging things and trying to figure out, okay, um, here's a new imbalance I'm finding on this person. Where does that go? So to give you an idea how, what this process sometimes was like, uh, one day a man came into me, 42 years old, uh, who had been in a car accident four years before. And he told me that his neck still hurt like the day after the accident, about a nine on a zero to 10 scale of pain. And, um, He said he'd been to several different doctors and nobody had been able to help him. And I thought, I thought, I thought, gee, that's, that's kind of strange. Um, and so, uh, so what I did is I, um, before I started working on him, I had this habit of just offering a silent prayer and, um, and essentially in this prayer, and then nobody ever knew that I was praying for them. It wasn't anything that I ever told anybody. It was just a, a momentary pause as far as they knew. I was just collecting my thoughts, but I'm asking for help. And I said, Father, help me to know if there's something else going on with this guy, um, help me to know what this is because this seems kind of strange. And uh, and this answer flowed into me all of a sudden, this an understanding all of a sudden just flowed in. And the understanding was that. In the accident, when this guy was, he was rear-ended sitting in a stoplight. The energy that was produced in the accident, all that kinetic energy that crumpled the fenders and, and bent the frame on his car, that energy went through his vehicle. Some of it went through his body, but some of that energy was still there in his neck. In other words, some of that energy from the accident was still in, in his body, in his neck. And that was the answer. And I thought, well, wow, that's really wild, really. So some of the energy from the accident is still in his neck. So, uh, I took a magnet and just swiped it a few times down the middle of his back to release that energy. And that's something that we, that we use in the body code and in the emotion code. Do this, how you release a trapped emotion and how you can correct all kinds of energetic imbalances. So I did that and, uh, just took a few seconds. And then I said, okay, um, move your neck around now. So he looks left and right and tilts his head back and forward and leans his head to one side and the other. And then he looks at me and he says, how did you do that? And I said, well, how does it feel? And he said, well, I'd say it's about a two from a nine. And I said, well, when's the last time I felt that good? And he said, well, before the accident, right? And so so there's a, an imbalance that I f- or was led to really, and we call that a physical trauma energy. So I had to figure out, okay, in my mapping system, where do I put that? So I put that in the energies area. So there's are six areas in the body code that uh are the six kinds of imbalances that we suffer from. That was a new imbalance that was shown to me. Uh, another area of imbalances is pathogens, viruses, bacteria, fungal infections, mold, parasites, things like that to get into the body. You got to get rid of those to be healthy. Another category, of course, is misalignment and I found that any tissue can misalign, and usually if you have something that's out of alignment, you'll have something that's causing that, and that's usually some kind of emotional baggage, which is in the energy category. Um, Then another category is nutrition and lifestyle. If you have some kind of a deficiency of a vitamin or mineral, it'll show up there, etc. Another category is toxins, like the uh, spider venom lady. That was her major issue. Um... And then another category is imbalances of the circuitry or the systems of the body, where you might have a disconnection between the spirit and the physical body. You might have an imbalance in an organ or a gland or a chakra or a, mer- or a meridian or something. And so, um, so anyway, I was able to put together these six categories. And the fascinating thing that I found was that um, as I was able to put this together, I was able to use it as the interface for the subconscious, here's another story, for example. Um, a woman came in to see me one day who'd been hospitalized for five days with this terrible pain in her abdomen. And she's about a nine on a zero to ten scale. Uh, she was hospitalized for five days, but they couldn't find anything. All the tests were negative, so they they sent her away finally. So she comes in to see me. She's in this terrible pain. And so I start asking questions. and. I'm taken to some trapped emotions. I release those by her subconscious. That's who's guiding me. I'm asking questions, but, you know, she's giving answers through uh, muscle testing. Strong for yes, weak for no. And uh eventually I'm taken into this area that in the body code now we call nutrition and lifestyle. And into a map or a chart really that has two columns and six rows. And... uh it's the uh, nutrients. It's a chart of nutrients. And so uh, so I'm asking questions. Okay, so there's a certain nutrient that she needs. I don't know what it is. Is it in column A? Yes. Is it in one of the odd rows? I get a no answer from her. So it turns out it's in an even row. It turns out it's chromium. And I thought, okay, chromium, gee, let's see, that's really good for blood sugar. Hmm. Okay, I just thought this is an incidental finding. And I said, uh, we're out of chromium right now. I think you should get some at some point, but you know, I wouldn't make too big of a deal out of it. So the next day she comes in again and sh- now she's over 10. She's over a 10 in pain. And I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how they missed this in the hospital, but I didn't know what else to do. So I started testing using what I had then, uh, this computerized mind map, asking questions and getting answers from her subconscious. And out of all the thousands of possibilities, I was taken right to this same uh, this same table and uh, was guided right back again to chromium. And only at that moment did I remember, oh, wait, hey, this showed up yesterday. And I said, you know what? I don't know why, but I think your body really needs chromium. Uh, I want you to leave my office right now. Go down, Go down the street to the health food store. Don't even wait. Buy some chromium tablets. Ask them for water. Go ahead and take some right then and then come back. 20 minutes later, this very athletic young woman who'd been hospitalized for five days for this terrible pain that left my office 20 minutes before as a 10 is now literally jumping up and down in my waiting room saying, I'm fixed, I'm fixed. And she said, how did that work? She said, the moment that you took the chromium, the pain was just instantaneously gone. She said, how did that work? And I said, I have no idea. But I said, the beauty of it is uh, you came in here because of your pain. You wanted to get rid of it. And your subconscious mind was able to communicate that that's what you needed. And so that's the beauty of this. And really that story in a nutshell, uh, illustrates the paradigm, uh, that this work really, uh, is all around. And it's going to, ch- this understanding is going to change the world. It has to, we have to start realizing that the body is a divine creation and within it is this subconscious mind that is so vastly intelligent that we have had no idea, uh, its capabilities until now, I think. And so, um, I think that this
0: is, uh, this is just the beginning. The cat is out of the bag, I think. So, uh, in the interest of time, because we got about five more minutes, there's one question I wanted to ask you. Um, you're pretty hypercritical of most recreational drugs in this book. And the reason I wanted to ask this is we recently had uh, Dylan Bainon, the, the founder of Mind Bloom, who runs a ketamine induced therapy company. And so I want to hear your take on this because like we're seeing pretty amazing results from, you know, uh, psychedelic therapy treatment. And I just, I'm very curious, like how this how this, you know, either aligns or conflicts with your perspective?
1: Well, I think that, uh, how I would answer that is I, I believe that, uh, I believe that everything was created. God created everything and everything has purposes and uses. I think it's, it, uh, it's also true that, um, things can be abused. And so I think that that's where generally speaking, you, you, Run into trouble with things. Um, so, for example, something like ketamine that uh, that is used in a in a very conscious manner to try to help someone. I think that it can have positive benefits. If you if you're abusing it though, as um, like more of a street drug in a situation right. like that, and you're becoming addicted and so on, then you know you're going you're going to have trouble. But I think that God has created everything, uh, for the use of, of all of us. Um, but we need to be careful and, uh, and use things carefully. So I'm, I am not opposed really to the use of, uh, of psychedelics, for example, or ketamine. I, I think that, uh, I think that under the, under proper circumstances, uh, it might be just what you need. Yeah.
0: I mean, we're talking about therapeutic treatment, not like recreational use of this stuff. So yeah. I, I think I'm okay that's what that. I wanted. To, okay. Yeah. Cool. Sure. Well, I have one final question for you, which is how we finish all of our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Well, you know, I think that we, uh, I think that all of us come into this world. Uh, with our own unique personality that, uh, that existed before we came into this world. And I think that um, I think that there is a perfect blueprint that lies within the heart of each one of us. And I believe that our job in this world is to figure out what that blueprint is. Uh emotional baggage, trapped emotions, and other kinds of imbalances get in the way of that. And that's one of the really exciting aspects of this work is that um, we're able to. Remove that emotional baggage. And as we do that, people tell us, uh, gee, at a certain point, it felt like, it felt like I was becoming someone like who I used to be. Uh, or at a certain point, it's like stepping out of this old suit you've been walking around in into this new state of being that is really who you were intended to be. And I think that if you can live as you were intended to live, uh, it makes you and every other person that's living that way um, unmistakable. We're all beautiful, divine creations, I believe. And um, and I think that uh, part of the reason why we're here is to learn why we're here.
0: Hmm. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and share your story, your wisdom and insights with all the students. Where can people find out more about you, uh, your books, uh, your work and everything else? Yeah.
1: Well of course the book uh, the emotion code and the body code they're available on uh, and, of course Amazon and Audible and uh, wherever books are sold our main website is at discoverhealing.com that's h e a l i n g of course and uh and then I do have a personal blog at uh, drbradleynelson.com that's d r b r a d l e y n e l s o n.com there's more information there about my my uh,
0: spiritual beliefs as well in case you're interested amazing and for everybody listening